Now, you know, when you come to Resurrection Day, when you come to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we remember what Paul said. He said, without the resurrection, we are of all people to be most pitied. Because without the resurrection, we have nothing that draws us together. We have nothing that gives us hope. You know, I've been watching all these trials on television of late, and they fascinate me. Everybody gets up there on the stand. This is their chance to defend themselves. This is their chance to tell their truth, tell their story. And what do they always say? Your Honor, I take the fifth. That, of course, being the Fifth Amendment, the right to not incriminate yourself by saying, yes, I did it, but I don't want to go to jail for it. And it's amazing how many people take the fifth. I started thinking this week as I was reading through the book of Matthew, chapter 27, that's where we're going to start, Matthew 27, I was beginning to read and I wondered what would happen if everybody who saw the resurrection took the fifth? What would happen if every Christian in the first century church said, you know what? It's my own personal belief. This is my private faith. I don't want to share that with you. I don't feel like I have to share that with you. What would happen if nobody testified to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would we even know about it today? Today I want to talk about what it means to be an eyewitness to something. To be an eyewitness to say, yes, Your Honor, I saw this happen. This is what happened, and I put my word behind it. See, I don't believe any Christian anywhere has the right to take the fifth when it comes to their faith. I don't want you to say amen. I don't want to know what you personally believe about it. I'm just telling you, according to the word of God, you can't take the fifth. Unless, of course, you were out doing something you shouldn't have done, and your wife called you, and you said, no, dear, I'm at work. Then take the fifth and come to the pastor. We'll get you straightened out. I'm just saying, history is never silent. History tells us so much. In fact, one man has said that from history alone, we can prove that Jesus both died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, even if you don't go to Christian books, even if you don't go to the Christian text, you can prove that these things happen. Today, we are in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 50. I want to show you the complete witness. This is the witness that you have within you. This is the witness that you bear, church. You are the light in the darkness. And it says that a light on a hill cannot be hidden, cannot be covered up, and your light should never be put out. The first thing I want you to know is this. People in his time knew that he died. There was no question that Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi, convicted of a crime he did not commit, he did die. Matthew 27, 50. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Now pay attention, church. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you need to underline this. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn into from top to bottom. I could spend this entire day talking about this moment. Now, that curtain, that veil that was in the sanctuary, that veil that stood between the holy place and the holy of holies was not a towel. It was not a curtain. The curtain that stood between the holy place and the holy of holies was 60 feet long. From top to bottom, it was 60 feet long. That's a massive curtain. Its purpose was to protect people from accidentally intruding on the Lord's presence. The Ark of the Covenant was sacred. It was holy. It was where the high priest did business 
with God on behalf of Israel. And it was made in such a way that no one could approach it without dying. In fact, the high priest would go in once a year to make a sacrifice. They put a chain around his ankle and he would enter. If he were to die because there were some secret sin, they had to pull his body out because nobody could go in to get him. That's how serious it was to cross that veil, to cross that curtain. Not only was it 60 feet long, it was 30 feet high, 30 feet high. On top of that, it was four inches thick. This is woven fabric. Ladies, have you ever tried to deal with woven fabric four inches thick? Can you imagine? You could fall against this curtain, fall against it, and it would not let you through. It would not fall or break. It was a solid wall to save your life from intruding upon God's presence. So for God to tear this from the top to the bottom, it would have been impossible for anything else to anything else to go through it. Only God himself could have torn that veil. Now, what does that mean? That veil of separation between man and God stood as a marker. Don't go any further. Just like when they went to Mount Sinai, they could not intrude upon the mountain without dying. So there was a barrier set up there. God himself took down the barrier. God said, you know what? I don't want you to be on that side of me and this side. I want to make a way for you to come to me, to come into my presence. Only God could tear the veil. Only God could break it down. That's how important it was that Jesus die on that cross. So the earthquake and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. You don't ever read this part, but if you go back in history, you know all the zombie movies, all the, uh, the Day of the Dead and all that silly stuff? You know where it came from? Somebody went to Sunday school. Somebody went to Sunday school. Wait a minute. Jesus died and all these tombs exploded open. And later, the bodies came into town that testified as to who Jesus was. That's pretty amazing. And they came out of the tombs after the resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. So people who knew they were dead saw their dead family come back testifying that Jesus was the Messiah. That's how important it was that God's word would go out. People could not dispute what they were hearing, what they're hearing because they heard it from their own dead relatives. Now, that's amazing to me. That this would happen, and yet it's not recorded in history outside of the Bible itself. Because nobody wanted to believe it. Nobody wanted to remove the doubt. You see, you go today, most people in the world do not believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. They think his body was stolen. They think that uh, he fainted on the cross, and they put him in the tomb, and the tomb was cool. And somehow he got out. Have you ever seen an Israelite tomb? The stone is so massive, so huge, that you cannot open it from the inside. It can only be opened from the outside. We're going to get to that part of the story in just a minute. Now think about that. So here is all these people coming to town. And they're testifying to who Jesus is. When the centurion and those with him who were appointed to keep watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of God. 
Now don't get confused. They're not saying that this is the Messiah. What they're saying is that this was an innocent man, a divine person. Remember, the Romans had a lot of demigods. They had a lot of uh, situations where the gods had relationships with people, and then you had these half-human, half-god people running around like Hercules. So they had all these legends. And so they thought, oh my goodness, this is one of those half-god, half-man things. This is one of these demigods. And God is angry because we have killed him on this cross. Well, they were right. They were right. God wept in heaven because his son sacrificed himself for us. So this Roman official actually had a name. Bet you guys didn't know that. His name was Centuro. Centuro means the hundred or the leader of the hundred. He was a centurion. Everybody simply called him Centuro, meaning leader of the hundred. So this person was not just a rank-and-file soldier. This was a very important soldier, a powerful man, an experienced battle veteran. That's how he earned that rank as Centuro, leader of the hundred. For him to say, this was the son of the gods, this was one of the demigods, he knew that something spectacular had happened because he was standing there. In fact, legend says, and this is legend, this is not church, Legend says that he was standing at the foot of the cross and he had reached out to touch it to steady himself in the earthquake and that the blood of Jesus actually touched this man and that later he became a convert to Christianity. I would like to believe that. I would like to believe that someone saw Jesus die on that cross and be so dumbstruck by it that he was converted to Christ right there in that moment. I think that would be fantastic. But we have no proof from the Bible record, so we will let that thing go. Now we say, well, what does the world say about this? What does the world say about the death of Jesus? Flavius Josephus was a priest in 66 AD. And in 66 AD, he was seized. He was put in the service of the Roman Empire. So he was a Jew drafted by the Romans to become a historian. His most famous book is called The Antiquities of the Jews. It is a history of the Jewish people. Basically, it's the Old Testament translated into Latin, made for the Roman people to be able to read. This is what he says, and this is an amazing thing. People have disputed this ever since the days of Flavius Josephus because they don't want to believe it. It says this, about this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds. He was a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Mashiach, the Messiah. He was the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one. Even Flavius Josephus, a Jewish priest, came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah because such amazing things happened around this. There is no doubt, no competent historian doubts that Jesus was a real person and that he really died under the reign of Pontius Pilate. That is an established historical fact. Nobody doubts that. So let's go right there. They knew he was dead, not passed out, not fainted, not swooned. He was dead, completely dead. Romans know death. They know war and they know death. So we go on. They also knew that he rose from the dead. Matthew 28, verse 1. So we're jumping on Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake again. Wow, another violent earthquake. 
because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The average Roman complement to this type of task would have been 16 men, 16 battle-hardened veterans. The legion of Judea were hardcore men because Judea was a very hard place to live. It was a very dangerous place. These were not newbies. These were not fresh recruits. These were hardcore battle veterans. They're watching a tomb. And suddenly something happens that they have never seen in all of their lives. Something so outstanding, something so amazing that basically they are shaken. It says they became like dead men. They basically fell to the ground, weak in the knees because of what they were seeing. Now, this is where it leaves the men, but we're going to come back to them in a minute. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, past tense. He was crucified, yes. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. That should trigger a memory for all of you who were here with me and went through Matthew. What does Jesus say when Andrew comes to him, when Andrew comes, because John the Baptist has said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let's read this in the book of John. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And these two disciples start following him. One of them is Andrew. And Andrew is a disciple that we know, but we know his big brother better, Peter. Because as soon as he sees the Messiah, he goes to get Peter and says, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the anointed one of God. When they go to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? What does he say? He says, come and see. Church, if you want people to believe in Jesus Christ, tell them to come and see. Come to the word of God. See what is written. See what history says. See, if, if you talk to me and, and I say something you don't like, you can dispute it because I said it. That's why I said, don't trust your pastor. I'm old. I'm half blind and I forget things. Except my wife's birthday because I don't want to die. Okay, so here's the thing. I might make a mistake. The Word of God never makes a mistake. Bring them to the Word of God. Show them the truth. Show them exactly what it says and let them be convinced. Many an atheist, many a skeptic has said, I am going to disprove this Jesus by coming to their own Bible and I'm going to show you there's a mistake. Every person who has done that legitimately has been converted to Jesus Christ. Because once you face the word, you cannot dispute the truth that's in it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by my opinion. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by something that Charles Stanley said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing is by the word of God. That's why I read so much of the Bible every Sunday. That and I don't have the creative unction to go ahead and make something of my own. I just steal from God. It's okay. It works better that way. He says that, come and see the place where he lay. He invited and the angel said, here, this is where they put his body. Remember, the women had followed um, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, had followed them to the tomb. They had seen them wrapping the body. They had seen them place the body inside. They knew where he was. So to go there and to see all these passed out Romans, or by now they may have woken up and run away. I'll tell you why in a minute. They came there, they knew this was the tomb, and that stone was moved, and they knew that's where Jesus should be, but he wasn't. 
because he was risen. And that's the most important thing. Never forget, he is risen. The power is not in your opinion. The opinion is in the truth. The power is in the truth of the word of God. And it says this, Then go quickly and tell the disciples, for he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, for I have told you. Angels say this a lot. Have you noticed that? We talked about Gideon, and we talked about some of the other angelic hosts that come. And what does he say? I am Gideon. I stand before, not Gideon. I'll think of it in a second. He says, I stand before the Lord, and I am telling you, this is what's going to happen. And it happens. Joshua believes him and goes. So here's the thing. He says, listen, I've told you. Now, the women, of course, being very bright and intelligent, do exactly what they're told. They run off to the disciples. Now, you think, okay, this is a couple guards. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were sleepy. Uh, maybe they got it wrong. Okay, maybe these women were frightened. They were terrified. It was early in the morning, bad light. You can make excuses. But consider 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared to more than 500, meaning Jesus, brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You've got 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, 500 people who knew him, 500 people who knew this was not a fake, this was not a fraud, this was not a body double. This was the actual Lord come back. It says most of them are still with us. You see, if the Romans wanted to get rid of Christianity before it was formed, all they had to do was bring out the body of Jesus. Amen? All they had to do was bring out the body. They knew where it was. They had 16 guards on it. They had a Roman seal on it to protect it. Bring out the body, we'll believe you that he's dead. Okay? It says 500 people saw him. Bring in the 500 people, torture them, make them lie and say that he never appeared. That didn't happen. They did confront these people. History tells us they did go after them, but none of them said it was a lie. Each one of them risked their own life to not take the fifth and testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. I wonder today if it became illegal to be a Christian in America. If in America today you could not be a public school teacher without denying Jesus. You could not be a university professor without denying Jesus. Let's go back to Adolf Hitler back in the late 30s. You could not be a pastor if you didn't tow the Nazi theological line. He told pastors, this is what you can say, this is what you can't say. If they did not listen to Herr Adolf, they were no longer pastors. They would lose their churches. They would lose their salary. Yet they stood against him because the truth will always win out in the end. Amen? Do you know how important you are? Do you know how important you are in American culture today? You are among the few and the proud who believe in Jesus Christ. You are among the very few who know that he is risen, who know he is coming back. And I pray to God, you are among the few who will step forward and say, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Nice and creed time, people. I pray you are those people, because those are the people who stood here. So we say that they knew he was dead, and they knew he rose from the dead. Look at the third thing here, Matthew 28, 8. Now some people who experienced this, they spoke the truth. Matthew 28, 8. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings, or hello. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. 
And Jesus allows him to be himself to be worshipped. When he was just a man, when he was just among them, he would not allow himself to be worshipped. But now he has risen to the Father, he can be worshipped because he deserves our worship. Amen? To close it, they worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and I will see them there. Or they will see me there. That's so important. These ladies had a choice. They could either go and tell the disciples or they could keep it to themselves. Oh, this is a private thing. This is just my belief. I don't want to impose it on anybody else. If I run into one more person that says, I don't want to say what I think. I want you to think what you think. And if I run into one person, I swear I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off a bridge or something. It's just crazy. I work at the University of Houston, so you know what I deal with all day long. There it is. Here's the thing, Luke 24, 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told the disciples these things. Then these words seemed to them as idle tales. So these women go in there full of joy, full of happiness. And what does this group of men go? Uh, it's just a bunch of women. They're, they're, they're probably overwrought. They probably work too hard. They're probably still messed up from the crucifixion. Let's just put them in the corner and give them some milk or something else. You know how condescending men can be. Come on, guys. Let's be serious. We can be very condescending when it comes to women, except our wives, because we all want to live. Anyway, so here we go. They did not believe them. These women had the courage to step up, speak the truth, even though the men there didn't believe them. The men who should have known, the men who should have been expecting this. He told them, kill me, I'll be back in three days. Okay, it's been three days. Why are you shocked that I kept my word? How is it you're shocked? He says this, but Peter, now here we go, Peter, he rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. At least Peter had the integrity to run and see for himself. Now, that's the kind of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ. They hear a story in Sunday school. They hear a pastor blather on for like, you know, an hour, and then they go in and go, hmm, that was interesting, and they go do something else. Peter, touched by the Holy Spirit, was able to go and look and see and know for himself that truth. My friends, the only way anyone is ever going to come to faith in Jesus Christ is if they go and see. If they have the courage to look and know. But they're not going to know to look if you don't have the courage to tell them. You have to tell them there is only one way to heaven. There is only one God. There is only one way. One Savior. One Jesus. It is not politically correct. It is not acceptable in our universities, in our schools, and in many of our social circles. But my friends, there is only one Savior. Amen? One way to heaven. I can't change the rules. I told you before, gravity is a law. Throw your husband off the roof, he's going to hit the ground, and it's going to be very bad. I'm just saying, that's what happens. Gravity is a law. Jesus is a law. You cannot go around him. You cannot circumvent him. You cannot be good enough to take his place. Without Jesus, there is no hope of the resurrection after we all die. Look at this. So if some told the truth, 
There were those who lied. I told you we'd come back to the guards. Matthew 20, 11. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Notice, not all of the guards came. Not all of the guards showed up. I'm thinking some of them ran for the hills. I've told you in the past what has happened to Roman soldiers who were found in dereliction of duty. If a Roman soldier was found guilty of something as simple as falling asleep, his punishment was called the fusterum. The fusterum was simple. Your centuro would step forward with basically a crudgel or a mace. He would look at you and know that you were guilty. He would lightly tap you on the chest with his crudgel. You would think he would hit you in the head or something. No, he would touch you. By doing that, he would free all of the other soldiers there to rush in and beat you with rocks and clubs until you were dead. You would be killed by your own men if you fell asleep on duty. I want you to understand how bad this is because you're not going to believe what the, Roman, what the Romans heard from the high priests. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they agreed on a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money and said to them, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. And I'm thinking to myself, what? You're going to tell soldiers who know it's a death sentence to fall asleep? I'll just tell them you fell asleep. And that's what happened. And I'm thinking, what soldier in his right mind is going to accept this deal? Because there were other forms of punishment even worse than the forsturum. Worse, because they, they could strip you, sit you on your shield, light your clothing on fire, and burn you alive. That was another punishment. One soldier was actually so overwhelmed when he saw all these Christians pushed onto an ice shelf. They pushed all these Christians out there to freeze to death. They stripped them, pushed them onto an ice shelf to let them die. They, they broke the ground, the, the ice connecting to the ground, and they were shoving out this iceberg. He was so overwhelmed by their show of faith. This is in the history books, people. I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, I make up a lot of stuff, but not this one. They put them on that, and they shoved him out. This guy stripped off his own armor, ran, jumped onto the ice shelf with them, and said, I believe in Jesus. And he died with them on that ice shelf because even though he saw the punishment was so bad, the alternative of being a pagan was worse. The alternative of not believing was worse. He was willing to die as a testimony to what he had found was true. That's what I hope all Christians in America can find the courage to do. We can find the courage to prefer death to silence. Look at the people right now in Ukraine who are fighting for their homeland. It's mostly lost. They're dying in droves. There's just no way to save them, it seems. Yet they stay and they fight because it is better to die fighting than to lay down and die like a dog. And I, I, I find great courage in that, great, great admirability in what they are doing. So he says this, tell them you stole them while you were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, like it's going to get that far, right? Okay, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. It's not possible. They knew they were lying. The, the chief priests were lying because it wouldn't go to the governor. It would go to their commanding officer, to their centuro. Their centuro would execute them. It would never get to the governor. This was a lie. Yet these men believed the lie. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day, to the day of the writing of this book. Consider this. 
Friedrich Nietzsche said God is dead back at the end of the 18th century. That lie persisted to the 1970s when it made the cover of Time magazine. Today, with absolutely, absolutely no evidence, you still read about things like evolution. You still read about molecules to man. You still read about we, we're descended from, from little apes, you know, from the goo to the zoo to you. We still read this nonsense, even though for the last 150 years, we've known it was trash. Even Darwin said he couldn't prove it. And they haven't proven it yet. Yet it's still out there. The lie persists. I want to put this to you and then I'm done. There is a way to lie to people without saying anything to them. And that is to remain silent. If you remain silent when the person of Jesus Christ is ridiculed, you are lying. If people say, well, no sane person believes in Jesus. Nobody believes in the Bible. And you sit there and say nothing. You are a liar. That is harsh and I apologize for telling you the truth, but there it is. You are lying if you refuse to speak about what you know. In fact, when Peter's confronted and they're like beating on him and saying, stop talking about Jesus. He says, you decide whether it's right for me to fear you or fear God. But I cannot stop talking about what I've seen and heard. I've been following Jesus a long time because I'm an old man. And let me tell you something. He has never, ever failed me once. Not in all these years, not in any situation I've ever been in. And I encourage you, this year, among, among all years, have the courage to speak out about Jesus. Have the courage to tell someone that there is a choice that they have to make. I've done a lot of funerals. And the harshest funerals I've ever done are for those who were not Christians. I mean, I've, I've done funerals for soldiers who committed suicide, and that's hard. That is hard. Doing a funeral for somebody who was a nice person, but a person who did not believe there was a God, did not believe there was a salvation, did not believe there was a Savior, that is hard because it eats at your soul. That these people are grieving, but there is no hope in their grief. There is no chance of a reunion. There's no chance of coming back together. It kills you. So the least you can do is tell people that they have a choice. They can believe or not believe. Now those disciples who did not believe the women were very quickly converted when Jesus showed up. And they're like, oh my gosh, the women were right. Yes, they had the chance to be corrected. Even Thomas even Thomas who said, I won't believe anything. All y'all are liars, y'all drug addicts, y'all crazy. I'm not going to believe anything you say until I put my finger in his side and into his palm. Jesus said, go, go ahead. There's the wound right there in my wrist. Stick your finger in it. Wait, right here's where the spear went in. Go ahead, put your hand in there. What did he say? My Lord and my God. Once he had seen the truth, None of his brave words meant anything. This is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. This is our chance to tell the world we are not ashamed, we are not embarrassed, we are not silent. We will keep preaching Jesus 
until they either lock us away or until he comes back to get us. I've always said one day the cops are going to come through that back door and they're going to arrest me for preaching politically incorrect stuff. Let them come get me. I'll go to prison. I'll go to jail. Y'all just better bring me chocolate cake and cookies. I got to have something to eat in that place. This is Easter. And we are the most blessed people on earth because we know the truth. We have seen the truth. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected for our sake. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.